invite you to open your Bible this morning to Leviticus chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at Leviticus chapter 2 and 3 this morning as we look at the grain offerings and the peace offerings. As you're doing that, uh, someone asked me last week, what does the name Leviticus mean? Where does it come from? Um, it, it's, a, it's a strange sounding name. Interestingly, as I did a little research, uh, it was not the given name of the book uh, when uh, in, the, in the Hebrew uh, in Torah. Uh, it was just called by the first word of, uh, that you find in the book, Andy Called. Uh, that, was its, that was its name, its a title. It was also referred to as uh, the rule, uh, the law of the priests or the book of the priests. And then when the Old Testament was translated into the Greek, uh, the Greek title uh, given to it was uh, Lutikon, which uh, means uh, relating to the Levites. And that's uh, then the Latin took it up from there. And uh, we have our English word from the Latin word uh, based kind of on the Greek word, which has really nothing to do with the Hebrew word. Um, <laughs> And so some of you even said it's sort of misnamed because it's, it's not specifically about the Levites. It's so Leviticus means relating to the Levites. It's, it's primarily uh, about the priests who are part of the Levites. But anyhow, that's another discussion. Um, but that's where you get the word Leviticus from. Thank you for asking. We're going to be reading uh, chapter 2 and 3 and I encourage you to, to sort of settle in and uh, um, focus, this can get a little bleary because it, start, it sounds starting uh, sound alike and sounds very old, uh, irrelevant, but as we explained last week, this is laying the backstory, this is telling us the backstory um, of the gospel itself and helps us to understand what it means to be a Christian as we understand what it meant to be an Israelite living uh, in covenant with God. So uh, Leviticus chapter 2. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar, and the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. No grain offerings that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord." As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar as a pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offerings. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears, roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. And the priest shall burn it uh, as its memorial portion, some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. And then the peace offerings. 
If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar, and from the sacrifice of the peace offering as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on its entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb for his offering, he shall offer it before the Lord, lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it in front of the tent of meeting, and Aaron's son shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then from the sacrifice of the peace offering, he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail cut off close to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on, in, on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. If his offering is a goat... Then he shall offer it before, before the Lord and lay his hand on its head and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then he shall offer from it as his offering for a food offering to the Lord, the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn them on the, on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. It shall be as a statue forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. God in heaven, you've inspired these words by your Holy Spirit and you've given instruction, Lord, not only for your people of old, but for your people for today. And so we open this, Lord, and ask that your spirit would help us to understand, uh, to see the goodness of God in it and uh, what it means to be the children of God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that makes Leviticus a, a difficult book for us is uh, we're, not, we're not used to sacrifices. Um, most of us don't really like the sight of blood. Uh, we don't like the idea of killing things. We, uh, to to uh, think about coming to the tabernacle and slaughtering a lamb uh, right in, there in front of your children it just seems to be a little uh, removed from us. It's, it's, it's not something that we inherently go, that, that, that sounds really attractive, uh, really appealing. Uh, but I think it would be helpful for us just to sort of uh, get a sense of what it would mean to be an Israelite in the, in the, the days that this was written and, and how sacrifices actually function because they are meant to be an integral part of uh, the worship of God's people and, and the life of faith. So it'd be as normal and natural for the Israelites of old, boys and girls, as it is for you to, to come to church this morning. This is just what you do as a Christian. It, it's an integral part of your life with God. You come to church and you fellowship with other believers and you, and you worship the Lord and you, and you feed on His Word. It's, it's what we do. Uh, the sacrifices are maybe specifically can be best be understood as prayers. Just as, as we have prayers of adoration and prayers of confession and uh, supplication and thanksgiving, uh, there will be, you'll find that there are sacrifices offered for those same reasons. Sacrifices of praise and, 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 and supplication and confession uh, and sacrifices 
um, of, uh, of, of prayer, of, of thanksgiving. So these are, the sacrifices are prayers in a visible form, maybe, uh, would be a good way of understanding it. This is how the saints of old would make known their request to God or, or thank Him for answering uh, the prayers that they had offered in the past. When I, if you want a sort of a New Testament lens to, to look at this with the uh, Paul's words in Philippians 4, 6, uh, really captures the intent, the meaning of the sacrifices. When Paul says to us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, the, the sacrifices are sort of Philippians 4 in Old Testament form, invisible form. This is how you would make known your requests and, 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 and offer thanksgiving. This is how you would commune with your God in a very real, very tangible, graphic way. This morning we're going to look at uh, two different offerings, the grain offering and the peace offering, and just try to get a sense of how they function in Old, Old Testament Israel and what's their significance for us today. The grain offering, uh, the Hebrew word is minha, it means gift. Bring a gift. To the Lord. Uh, in, chapter three, in chapter 2, uh, there are three paragraphs, and it's very detailed you may, and, and repetitive. You, you probably picked that up. So it talks first in the first paragraph, if you're going to come with a minha of uncooked flour and oil, this is how you do it. And, and then the second paragraph deals with, well, if you're going to bring cooked flour, you baked it first. This is how you do it. And, and it, and it uh, talks about three different ways that you could, you could prepare the, uh, the bread on a grill, griddle or in a pan. Uh, there's, there's different ways, and, and yet it all matters. And then the final paragraph deals with uh, the grain offering of first fruits. If you're, if you're uh, bringing, uh, the harvest has begun and you're bringing the first fruits of the harvest in, in thanksgiving to God, then this is how you do it. Well, let's look at the ritual and then the meaning. Uh, last week we looked at the burnt offering. Uh, now the, the grain offering is very closely related to the burnt offering in that the two would be offered uh, almost, well, almost always at the same time. So uh, we know from uh, the book of Numbers that when the um, priests in the morning and the evening offered their burnt offerings for Israel, they would immediately offer a, um, a, pea, a grain offering following. Uh, this is, of, of course, not a... It's not an animal offering. It's not a blood offering. It's, it's, it's flour, uh, oil, and sometimes some, some frankincense. Uh, and one of the key differences is that in the burnt offering, everything is burned up. It all belongs to the Lord. The grain offering, um, there's a portion called the memorial portion. So you come with your, uh, with your gift, how, however large it might be, your, your, your loaves of bread or your flour, and, and you bring it to the priest, and he would take a portion of it, and he would place that on the altar. That's the memorial portion. And the rest of it goes to the priest, to Aaron and the priest. So uh, chapter, verses 3 to 10, the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offering. In other words, God wants Israel to understand that uh, this giving to the priests is part of the offering. It's a most holy part of the offering. If you just come with a handful of flour and say, here, toss this on the fire, uh, that's not a grain offering. You come with a 
a, poor, a significant gift, right? It's a gift to the Lord. And the vast majority of it goes to the priest, and that's part of the offering. It's every bit as much a part of the offering as what gets burned up on the fire. And, and in this, God is letting Israel know that there's a horizontal aspect to this sacrifice. So you come with your gift to the Lord, and the memorial portion represents that, but there's a horizontal aspect to an offering that's pleasing to the Lord, and that's providing for the priests. Remember, the priests don't have land uh, like the rest of the tribes. The Levites weren't given a portion in the land, so they are dependent upon these offerings. Wenham points out that the grain offering provided their main source of income. So uh, God wants the Israelites to understand that he takes very seriously their responsibility to provide for the priests, to support uh, the priests, and it's an offering to God as they do that. Uh, I think it's just a reminder to us as we give money to the general offering, and, and uh, out of that general offering, we, we support all the ministries and ministers and staff of, of a Harvest Church. That's an offering that God delights in. It's an offering that's pleasing to the Lord. We're not just paying the taxes or paying the dues or you know, keeping the bills paid. It's a, it's a significant spiritual act to give to the Lord. It was for Old Testament Israel, it is for today. Paul will pick up this, this, this imagery and apply it to the New Testament church and its responsibility to provide for its pastors. Well, the grain offering, as I said, was usually uh, offered along with a burnt offering. And that helps us to understand its role, its significance. What does it mean? <clears throat> it could mean, so there's a generic sense to it. it. It doesn't have just one specific meaning. It can be a, um, a sacrifice of praise. So Psalm 96, verse 8. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering, a minha, a grain offering, and come into his courts. It's a way of just praising the Lord. It can be a prayer of supplication, a way of, of seeking the favor of God. So Psalm 20, verses 1 and 3, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he remember all your offerings, your minah. Uh, the burnt offerings were the ola. This is the minah, the gift. May he remember all your offerings. So it's, it's a way of asking the favor of the Lord. But its primary significance seems to be in this thank offering. So you've, you've brought your burnt offering your, and uh, your burnt sacrifice, and, and you offered it up as a, as a sacrifice. And in that, if you remember from last week, you've, you laid your, head, your hand on the head of the animal, and then you slaughtered it. Uh, it was your substitute. It died in your place so that you could have peace with God, and, and then it's offered up to God. And then you give the thank offering. You, you've recognized that God has opened a door for you to be in his presence, to be in fellowship with him, to, be, uh, to receive his love and favor and blessing, though you are a sinner. All through the substitute and your response is, thank you. Thank you. And um, thank yous matter. And an interesting experience. Um, last night around, I don't know, quarter to ten, knock on the door, front door, <laughs> and there's two young guys uh, eighth grade, they said they were in eighth grade, come uh, knocking on the door, and soaking wet, it was raining, there was one bike out there, and um, this wasn't, this wasn't going to be in the sermon, obviously, but it was just, so they asked me if I could take them home, and um, yeah, poor guys, so, so I, you know, we threw the, tri the, 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 the bike in the back of the, the, 
the truck, and, and uh, where do you live? Well, they lived way over by um, Lamar Park. So they'd walked all the way. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Well, his girlfriend had called, and he needed to spend... Well, they didn't get that far because she's way up by Kalamazoo, and they didn't realize how far that was. So, you know, <clears throat> Google Maps, right? Um, so I bring him home, and uh, we had a nice little conversation on the way to drop him off. And uh, it was, uh, th- there was not much Thanksgiving going on. <laughs> um, it was, you know, thanks for the ride. One of them said that. The other one just walked off. And I, I want... <sighs> They were my kids. I would have, you know, brought them back. This is how we do this. See, I do a nice thing for you at 10 o'clock at night, and then you, you just lavish gratitude all over me. That's uh, how worship is supposed to work. Where God does this amazing thing for us, and we respond with lavish gratitude. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the gift you've given to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your salvation. We, we delight in it. We rejoice in it. And we, we thank you for it. And we, and we give a gift of, of, of thanksgiving that not only honors the Lord, but blesses others. So, you know, when we uh, celebrate the Lord's table, you'll notice we take a benevolent offering every time we do that. That's a New Testament grain offering, in a sense, where it's a gift we offer to God, but it's specifically for the blessing of other people. There's, a, there's the vertical aspect to it. It's our way of saying thank you to the Lord. The author of uh, the book of Hebrews seems to reference the grain offering in chapter 13, verses 15 through 16, when he says, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And then verse 16, do not neglect to do good and share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That's the language. It's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So as we share uh, in the benevolent offering and give to those who are in need and, and uh, providing for other things as well, our adoption fund uh, comes out of, um, well, we take an offering for that, but the gifts that we give to bless people specifically, well, that's pleasing to the Lord. And in so doing, so as the people would come with their grain offerings, this is a participation in covenant renewal. It's like a a worship service in that way. When we come together on Sundays, um, we're, we're doing something specific. We are participating as God's covenant people in a covenant renewal um, worship service where we come and we once again acknowledge our need of God and we once again uh, focus our mind on who He is and what He's done and we receive uh, what God has promised to us in Jesus Christ. And um, and we do this week after week because we need to, or we forget. Well, the, the sacrifices have that aspect to it, where it's a continual reminder, part of the life of the people, that we are God's people. We're not just Israelis. We're not just Abraham's descendants. We are the people of God. And that defines us. That... that um, that defines how we think about life and how we go about life. And we participate in these renewal ceremonies so that we don't forget who we are. And if you look at Israel's uh, de- spiritual decline, uh, right, from time to time throughout the Old Testament, they forget who they are. They forget what God is like. They forget who, what it means to belong to Him. Well, um, the, the grain offering then is, is part of this covenant renewal of reminding us God's people of who they are and they bring their gifts as an act of devotion to the Lord as a way of saying thank you 
because of his great salvation for them. It's a very rich, uh, rich offering. There's one intriguing aspect of it. Um, speaking of this covenant renewal part, it's the salt. Right? Did you notice that when we're going through it, God says every, the offering has to have salt with it. And it's even called the, uh, the salt of the covenant. And you'll find this in a few other places in the Old Testament. Well, what is this about? Well, salt in those days was associated with permanence. Um, salt could not be destroyed by fire uh, or, or time, right? It doesn't just sort of decay. Um, so when the offering was placed on the fire, everything gets burned up except the salt. The salt doesn't, doesn't burn. The salt, you see, is a symbol of the, the everlasting character of this covenant, God's covenant with his people. And they are both remembering God's faithfulness and they're pledging their submission to it. They're pledging their participation in it. We're committed to being your people, God. We're committed to living for you, our God. That's part of the, it's part of the covenant. God, you are our God. We are your people, and we're committed to it. And friends, when we, when we come together in worship, it's what we're saying. We're still committed. We still believe that God is all that he said he was, and, and we're still committed to his cause. We're still committed to being his people, receiving all of his grace and favor that he has for us in Christ. Well, that's the grain offering. Uh, the peace offering in chapter 3, uh, the peace offering looks a lot like the burnt offering in the sense that you bring an animal, an unblemished animal, you lay your, your hand on its head, you slaughter it, the blood is splashed against the altar. But that's really where the similarities end. <clears throat> the, the, um, the peace offering is unlike the burnt offering in that, once again, the burnt offering, everything is devoted to the Lord. The peace offering, you would put a, a portion, the fat portions, the liver and things like that, all the fat, the, that would go on the altar. Then a portion would be given to the priests, and all the rest is given back to the worshiper. The only stipulation is it has to be eaten then and there uh, or uh, the next day. So, the, we find that in Leviticus chapter 7. Well, commentators point out that um, meat was, eating meat was very rare in those days. It was, it was just too expensive. Your animals were your, um, your, your monetary value in a sense, uh, the way that you purchase other things and uh, you depend on them for other things. So, you're, so um, meat would not be a regular part of the diet. But peace offerings become days of fellowship and feasting. Uh, if you bring a bull, well, there, there's a lot of meat in a bull. And um, so it would be a, this wonderful free meal uh, for everyone who, who, who cares to participate. Uh, Deuteronomy 12, verse 7, There you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. This idea of, of rejoicing, Deuteronomy 27, 7, um, you shall sacrifice the peace offering and shall eat it there and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. So, so if you can think of a uh, you know, Saturday banquet where, where people are coming and they're eating meat. They're, they're feasting together. Uh, and sometimes the feast would be so large it just spills out uh, throughout the community. So in 1 Kings 8 verse 63, we're told that, so this is at the dedication of the temple, Solomon uh, offered as a peace offering 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. 
and it all had to be eaten. If you like meat, that's a really good day. Uh, and this just spills out all over the place. It, it, it's, it's, it gives the, it just is supposed to communicate this idea of incredible abundance and joy and, and um, just celebrating the glorious goodness of God. So the, you see, the, the, the peace offering, it, uh, the Hebrew word, of course, is shalom. And shalom means, it's a broad term, meaning life the way it's supposed to be. Life the way God intended, in a sense. It, it's not just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of the good things that, that God brings to us in friends and family and health and prosperity and good food. Uh, all of this because we have peace with God, our Creator. And so the, um, in Leviticus 7, there are, we're told three different... We'll get to this in a bit, I'll do, but I'd just like to briefly... Um, Explain it. So in Leviticus 7, there's three different reasons you would bring a peace offering. It could be a thank offering. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Psalm 56, verse 12, I will render thank offerings to you for you have delivered my soul from death and my feet from falling. So if, if you just have experienced, maybe you were sick and God, you prayed to the Lord and he heard and answered you, you would come. It's a voluntary offering, but you bring it and you give thanks. It could be the fulfillment of a vow. Uh, boys and girls, do you remember the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel? Hannah did not have any children, and it just broke her heart, and she prayed, and she made a vow that if God gave her a child, she would offer him back to the Lord, and he would serve the Lord all the days of his life. She made that vow. Well, God heard her prayer, and Hannah um, had a boy, little Samuel, and so when she brought him to the temple after he was weaned, she brought along a three-year-old bull, and she sacrificed a peace, this peace offering as a uh, fulfilling her vow as she brought Samuel there and offered him there to the service of the Lord. And so that's uh, a peace offering would function that way. Or it could just be a free will offering. God had been uh, a spontaneous act of glad generosity because God has been good to you. Psalm 54 verse 6 with a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good, for he has delivered me from every trouble. And so it would be just a way of uh, a, a, a spontaneous act of generosity and gratitude. Uh, someone recently uh, wrote a check for $100,000 to our building fund. Spontaneous act of generosity, gladness for God's goodness. That's how free will offerings work. That's how it's, it, it's meant to be. So our first thought when God blesses us in some uh, uh, wonderful way is, is, is not how can I consume this, um, but, but the joy of, of participating in the work of the Lord and offering a portion back to God as a free will offering to say, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Psalm 100 actually is a psalm that we're told is written with a sense of shalom, the goodness of God, and it's, the title reads, A Psalm for Giving Thanks. It would be a psalm for the peace offering. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. 
and His faithfulness to all generations. You have, that, that just gives you a sense of what the peace offering was meant to be. God is God. We belong to Him, and He's good. He's good. Let's give thanks to Him. His steadfast love endures forever. Well, what do these sacrifices have uh, to teach us then today? Obviously, we don't go to the tabernacle or the temple anymore uh, to offer sacrifices. Um, But one of the things that I think is intriguing specifically about the peace offering is the way that it's reflected in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Wenham points this out in, in his commentary, that the burnt offering reminds us, points us to the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus is the sacrifice, the substitute. We lay our sins on Jesus, right? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the the death of Christ on the cross is the fulfillment of the shadow that we find in the burnt offering. What's the fulfillment of the shadow we find in the peace offering? One of them suggests that it's the Lord's table itself, and I think he's right. That the Lord's table is the peace offering in that um, it's it's a covenantal meal that we share with one another in the presence of God. Uh, it's, it's like the peace offering in that we eat of the sacrifice. So when the peace offering, uh, the animal was offered, remember the, 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 some of the food goes to the priest, the rest goes to the worshipers. We eat of the sacrifice. Well, Jesus is the one who's made peace between us and God through the sacrifice of his body, and we eat of that body. Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you. That's a Jew with, who knows their sacrifices, that would not sound strange to them. It sounded strange to the Romans. It sounded like cannibalism. But for a Jew, this, uh, to eat of the body, well, that's what they did. They ate, they ate of the, the peace offering. Uh, both ceremonies also require the worshiper to be clean. We'll see that again in Leviticus 7, where uh, the Bible says if, if a person comes and there's uncleanness on him, that person will be cut off from his people. Well, Paul picks up that theme in 1 Corinthians and says, if you're going to come to the table of the Lord, don't come in an unworthy manner, lest you eat and drink judgment to yourself. There's something, um, we need to come with, with covenantal integrity when we come to the table of the Lord. But the communion, I think, is, is like the peace offering, is meant to be a service of receiving the goodness of God and thanking Him. In, in the Lord's Supper, as we take the bread and we, and we drink the wine, we are receiving everything that God has promised to us in Jesus Christ. That's why we say, eat and, and remember and believe. Because faith is how we receive the goodness. I was just talking with someone recently about how, uh, as Christians, we, we like to think about what we need to do and what we ought to have done and what we failed to do and, and, and all that matters. But the, the art of Christian living maybe could be explained as the art of receiving all that God has for you in Jesus Christ. Receiving the free gifts of your salvation, the free gift of forgiveness and the free gift of God's love for you, the free gift of everlasting life with Him. It's receiving is, is the principal art of Christian living. And in this, in this meal, the peace offering meal, they're receiving this as though it were from the hand of God. And, and in that, celebrating what they have in their God and in His salvation. Well, friends, we have so much more to celebrate. In Jesus Christ, we've received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have an embarrassment of riches in Jesus Christ. 
Riches to meet every need, body and soul, in life and death for time and for eternity. And God invites us to receive that then in faith. One of the uh, things that um, I just have a picture in my mind of a family going to the tabernacle or later on going to the temple. And if it's, it was the temple, then the people were scattered throughout the land and they would make a long journey. They would, and they would be there and they would offer up their sacrifice. And, uh, and uh, when the ritual was done and, and, and when the meal was eaten, if it was a peace offering and it was time to go, and they begin their long journey back home, the sacrifice stays where it was offered or where it was eaten, but the blessing goes along with them. And so they would begin their journey back home confident that they'd been in the presence of God. They would go back home confident that God uh, was their God and that they were his people. They were the sheep of his pasture, the flock under his care. And friends, that's exactly how it should feel when we leave worship on a Sunday. The sense that we're, we've been reminded that God is our God and we are his people. We're the sheep of his pasture, the flock under his care. That, that defines who we are. It defines how we live. It defines how we do our marriages. It defines how we do our parenting. It defines how we do our friendships and, and how we go about our work. And boys and girls, how, we're, how we treat other kids at school. Because we're God's people. He told us that specifically when we were in his presence. He told us that in church. He reminded us of who we were. And he called us then to receive all of his goodness and then to live as his people, trusting his faithfulness, trusting his steadfast love, and walking this pilgrim road then until we enter that eternal city and worship with glorified heart and mind and body. Friends, um, Celebrate the goodness of God. Remember who you are as you go out this week. Remember that God is your God and that you're his people and that a calling has been laid upon you as you live out your covenant life with your loving and saving God. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that we are in covenant relationship with you. Relationship, Lord, like a marriage where you've made promises to us and you will never, ever break them or let them go. And that, Lord, this covenant relationship defines who we are. We are your people. We've been called by grace alone to belong to you, and, and we're the church of Jesus Christ, the church that he is building. And, and, Lord, that goes with us everywhere we go this week. And the blessing that we receive in worship, Lord, goes with us. That you will protect us and keep us and make your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us and give us your peace. And Father, I pray that these things would be, Lord, real to us, that we would leave this place knowing that we've been in the presence of God and that, Lord, you love us and that you go with us and that you are going to be with us until your purposes are accomplished and you present us without spot and with great joy in the presence of Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. Let's sing a, a hymn that uh, just references... Uh, our act of devoting ourselves to God in response to his love and kindness to us, all for Jesus, all for Jesus. <laughs> 